This is a special NASA EDGE quadruple Doppler weather update on the fours. 70 degrees and sunny. 99% chance of rain. Wind chill factors. Sleet turning to snow. Smog alerts. Solar storms. Bob Dylan saying you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. But we all want weather data. And we get it a plenty from NOAA's Geostationary Operational Environmental Satellite System. GOES has provided persistent observation of the Western Hemisphere for over 30 years. And GOES-T is the third satellite in the Super designed to continue this profound observational data with even greater clarity. Like our other national treasure, Mr. T, GOES-T is outfitted with an abundance of hardware. GOES-T's suite of instruments provide terrestrial data and data related to space weather. I'm looking at you, Magnetospherence. And not only helps scientists speak to localized and specific weather patterns, but also provides a unique look at natural disasters and atmospheric phenomenon. Sophisticated, loaded with instruments, NOAA continues their tradition of exceptional environmental and weather observation with GOES-T, making us a weather-ready nation. Welcome to NASA Edge. We're looking live at Space Launch Complex 41, and it looks to be a beautiful day at the Cape Canaveral Space Force Station. Later in the show, Franklin Fitzgerald and Mick Waltman of the Launch Services Program will cover the rollout of the GOES-T satellite atop ULA's Atlas V rocket. But now, joining me in the high bay of Hangar AE is Pam Sullivan of NOAA. Pam, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, I have to tell you, exactly four years to the day tomorrow, you were on our GOES-S launch show. And here we are now, GOES-T. And uh, you're no longer with uh, Flight Projects. You're a system program director. So tell us a little bit about what your new responsibilities involve. Right. Well, for GOES-S, I, uh, I got to be the uh, the go for the mission to say the satellite was ready to launch. Um, so I, I like to say that's when I had a real job. Now, now I'm more um, program management, um, and I've uh, I now have responsibility not just for the flight elements of the satellite and the instruments, um, but also the ground system, our operations. Um, so kind of the whole GOES-R uh, program. But mostly what my job is um, is making sure that the people that are doing the real work um, have what they need to do the real work, and they're talking to each other. And uh, anyway, so that, that's my job, is really just to coordinate the whole team. Awesome, awesome. Well, you know, GOES-T is a very important mission. GOES is a very important mission for NOAA. So how does it sort of fit into the whole overarching NOAA mission? Yeah, NOAA has um, many different satellites. Um, the geostationary ones are, are kind of the ones that are most important for watching dangerous conditions as they happen, things like um, hurricanes and tornadoes and um, and fires. Um, and so the, the GOES-R 
uh, series give you the up-to-the-minute data. Um, some of NOAA's other satellites, um, like our polar orbiting satellites, give you data that go into numerical weather models so that you can, uh, so that our forecasters can do like the five-day-out, the 10-day-out forecasts. And then we have other satellites we're developing right now that um, will go out to uh, Lagrange points, um, which are good places to, if you're looking at what the sun is doing and what the space weather environment is like. Um, so those are the kind of the three missions that we have, the geo, the polar, and the space weather. Man, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> that's very impressive. And not only that, I mean, you think of GOES, the GOES series, this is the third of four. Um, you is right around the corner when you guys will launch that. So do you have any updates on GOES U? Oh, yeah. GOES-U is doing really great right now. Um, the team actually is focused on GOES-T, as you can imagine. Sure. Um, but as soon as the launch is done, um, the team will go back to um, uh, the Lockheed Martin facility in Denver, and they will uh, uh, start taking GOES-U through its environmental tests. So um, six of the instruments have already been delivered and integrated. Uh, we're just waiting for one more. Um, but later this summer, we'll start the environmental test program for GOES-U. That, that, that is awesome. Now, when the entire Gozar series is flying, obviously uh, it's supposed to get data for some incredible length of time, like in the 2030s, right? Yeah, absolutely. We uh, build the spacecraft to last um, 10 years, and so uh, GOES-T and GOES-U are projected uh, to operate into the 2030s. But that doesn't mean that we get to uh, relax after we launch <laughs> GOES-U. We're actually already working on the thing that will follow the GOES-R series, and which we're calling GEOXO. Um, so these uh, are satellites that will launch in the 2030s, and they'll actually operate into the 2050s. Whoa. I mean, I mean, you know, I want to be optimistic, <laughs> but it's hard to think of missions that might extend even beyond what we're doing here. That's incredible. I, well, you know, you can never, it's, it's important to never run out of weather satellites. Well, so, <laughs> so that's the planning that we're doing right now to make sure that there's something that follows Gozar. Now, today we're looking at the rollout. Uh, tomorrow's the launch. And uh, obviously you've been working with Goes for a long time. Tell me a little bit about what it means to see uh, this satellite launch and actually move into operational space. Yeah, I, I always say the launches are kind of an interesting feeling. You know, for the engineering team, it's the end of things, but for the scientists and the forecasters, it's really the start of things. And so it's a really interesting transition, um, and it gets to be a big event as well, you know. So uh, so it's exciting. It's exciting both for the ending and the starting. Well, we're so excited. Hopefully, Pam, you will be available and will be available to cover goes, the Goes You launch when that happens in a couple of years. But until then, we wish you the best of a launch and keep up the good work. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, thanks, and go goes tea. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Franklin had a chance earlier to sit down with another Goes R team member, Ed Grigsby. Franklin? Thanks, guys. I'm here with Ed Grigsby, who is the Goes Deputy System Program Director. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Franklin. Nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. Uh, Ed, can you tell us about NASA's role in NOAA's mission? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. NASA and NOAA have enjoyed a harmonious relationship for almost 47 years now in the GOES program development. Um, the mission of the GOES series has always been a very good partnership between NASA and NOAA. NASA's role has been to manage the development of the spacecraft, all the instruments, and uh, launch vehicle, and get this launched and commissioned. Now, as in your role that you have now, do you work with the vendors that uh, work on the spacecraft and deliver the instruments? Uh, the system program director and I um, work with our flight project and our ground project 
to oversee all of the vendor development. So we watch how the vendors are developing. We manage all of the projects work with the vendors. So yes, we do. Can you tell us a little bit about the instruments that oh, sure. are going to be on Ghost T? Oh, sure. Like Ghost R and the Ghost S, Ghost T will have six instruments. There's the Advanced Baseline Imager, which takes images for the weather forecast, the Geostationary Lightning Mapper, which captures lightning strikes, the SUVI, which is a solar ultraviolet imager. It captures images of the sun. There's EXUS, which is an extreme ultraviolet and X-ray irradiance sensor. It captures solar information as well. There's SICE, which is a solar environment in situ sensor suite. It captures galactic protons and galactic electrons and, and all of the energy, the high particle energy and low particle energy. Space weather stuff. Space weather stuff. And then there's uh, the magnetometer, which is a Goddard Space Flight Center developed magnetometer that measures the very minute magnetic field changes that are at geostationary orbit. So, so when I'm looking at um, my local uh, news in, in Virginia, doing the weather broadcast, they say we have lightning strikes in this area, this area, and they, they have the little light. Is it, does that come from the GO satellites is given that information? Is that the only satellite that gives lightning strike? So, so there's a, a ground network that provides um, location of lightning strikes, and I think there's still an instrument on ISS that provides information, but consistently, temporally, the geostationary satellite can view lightning strikes constantly. The ISS has a, it's a, an orbit that does not allow it to view uh, constantly. The ground cannot image where those are. It can only uh, determine electromagnetic radiation direction by uh, angle of attack. So the persistence of vision of the GLM from geostationary gives you persistence of location and intensity. Ed, I ask about the lightning because recently there was a phenomenon where a lightning strike like stretched partway across the United States. Oh yeah, the mega flash, that, that's incredible. It was 470 some odd miles across the Southeast. It's really interesting. This is the first time that they, they validated the existence of mega flashes and GLM data helped validate that those exist. Scientists had seen them before, but now we know they exist. Ed, thanks for being on the show today. Franklin, very, very pleasurable. Again, we're looking live at Space Launch Complex 41, actually the vehicle integration facility at this point. You can see the Atlas V, it is ready to roll out. The rollout has not begun. We'll get an update from Franklin and Mick later in the show. But joining us again in Hangar AE is uh, Dan Lindsay, the chief scientist for GOES. Uh, Dan, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I, I got to tell you, I'm super excited to hear about uh, what Ed had mentioned in the interview with Franklin, this, uh, this mega flash that was captured by the GOES satellites and validated this as a scientific principle. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So we have an instrument on the GOES-R series called the Geostationary Lightning Mapper, or GLM. It was first launched with GOES-16 back in, uh, in 2016, and then we also have one on GOES-17 in the west position. Uh, this instrument is able to detect optical 
energy from space. And so it keeps a constant watch on storms. And therefore, when you get one of these big flashes, like the one that you mentioned, we're able to uh, understand the horizontal extent. And that's not something that you can do from other types of instruments. And so it was really exciting to be able to collect this data and then officially document the record-breaking size of the lightning flash. And I would imagine that that's really part of what uh, the science team did for GOES. They, they knew they needed a way to, to, to sort of uh, record this kind of event, and that's why it was put on GOES originally, right? Yeah, that. There's a number of different applications. It also provides um, additional information for uh, severe storm warnings. Uh, radar is the primary tool for issuing warnings, but when you get information about lightning, sometimes you get lightning uh, that lightning flash amounts will increase prior to the storm becoming more strong or more or severe. And so forecasters can use that extra information uh, to make a decision. Do you issue a warning? Do you not issue a warning? Hmm. And I've seen those warnings and I'm very thankful for them. <laughs> so good job yeah, goes, right? Absolutely. Now, can you tell me a little bit about the other instruments? Because I understand all the GOES uh, spacecraft fly with a lot of uh, really important instruments. So in addition to the geostationary lightning mapper, the other earth-pointing instrument that we consider really our primary instrument is called the Advanced Baseline Imager, or the ABI. That's the instrument that takes the movies of hurricanes and the clouds, and we can watch the hurricane spin. It also is able to detect wildfires and the smoke from the wildfires. It really has a, a wide range of weather applications. In addition to that, we have a number of instruments that are designed for space weather. Um, those include, we have a magnetometer that measures the magnetic field around the Earth. We have a um, something called SUVI. It looks at the sun and takes pictures in the ultraviolet. And it, we're able to use that data to detect things like coronal mass ejections and solar flares. We have something called EXUS. It sort of measures the overall energy output from the sun. And then the, the last one is an instrument called SICE. And that one measures uh, particle flux coming from the sun to the earth. Now, it's interesting that there are so many instruments related to space weather, because for me, it seems like a, a relatively recent phenomenon, but GOES has been working on this for years. Why is space weather so important? So space weather, it can be, it's been monitored for many years, like you say. Um, we are currently coming out of a, what's called a solar minimum. And that means when the sun is relatively less active, that was in a 2020 or so. And we're ramping up toward the next expected solar maximum, which happens in 2025. And what that means is when you get closer to solar maximum, you have a higher likelihood of having these uh, space weather storms or solar flares, coronal mass ejections. So we use the data from the GOES satellites to keep an eye on the sun and get an idea when those things occur. Uh, when the particles, the charged particles, make their way to the Earth, they can cause disruptions to things like communications, they could even cause electrical blackouts, and they can affect even satellites themselves. So it's really important that we keep a constant watch on those, uh, those solar storms. What I think is fascinating about NOAA's approach here is that not only are you providing information that's helpful for people on the ground, but obviously that's helpful for anyone, for astronauts maybe in the ISS, but anywhere traveling in space. That's right, yeah, astronauts, um, you know, there's you know, literally thousands of satellites out there now, and so the, the satellite operators uh, need to know when these events are happening, so they can sometimes take precautions, go into safe mode, that kind of thing, to try to protect their uh, precious equipment from these solar storms. Now, I have a question for you, Dan, because you're chief scientist, and I'm wondering, you know, like, uh, what's, 
a day in the life like for a chief scientist? Do you just, do you sit around and analyze data all the time? Because it's a lot of data coming down. Yeah, to be honest, I wish I had the time to analyze the data all the time. You know, most scientists, yes, that's exactly what they're doing is working with the data as it comes in. Uh, from Ghost-T's perspective, um, my job really doesn't begin until the data begins flowing from the satellite back to the Earth. And that's not going to happen for a few more weeks at the minimum. We have to wait for Ghost-T to make it to geostationary orbit when it will become Ghost-18. And then we have to power on each of the instruments one by one. And then they begin sending back the data that we use to, um, you know, to calibrate the instrument and then um, you know, you know, check it out, make sure that everything looks the way it's supposed to look. And one, one final question, this is for me personally. I mean, I, I'm just wondering this. Have you ever met a scientist or have you ever said, uh, this is too much data? <laughs> Absolutely not. We can never have enough data. It is a tremendous amount of data. From the ABI alone, we have uh, 60 times more data than the previous GOES imager. So we had to prepare for the data, you know, bigger hard drives, more bandwidth, et cetera. But in terms of the data itself, we'll take as much as we can get. We can use that to uh, expand on our applications. I, I, that's awesome. I'm so excited. And thanks so much for being on the show. We look forward to you getting lots of data that you can't handle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Franklin also had a chance earlier to speak with Candace Carlisle about how the spacecraft was ready to come to the Cape. Franklin? Thanks, guys. I'm joined today on the set by Candace Carlisle, who is the GOES-R Flight Project Manager. How are you doing today, Candace? I'm doing great, and I'm really excited about the GOES-T launch. Oh, we are absolutely all excited about the GOES-T launch. Now, as the GOES-R Flight Project Manager, and you're associated with GOES-T. Can you tell our audience the difference between the two? The GOES-R series is R, S, T, and U. GOES-R and S are already on orbit as GOES-16 and 17 in the east and west position. GOES-T is the next one up. It will be moving into the GOES-West position and there it will be called GOES-18. As the flight project manager, can you tell us a little bit about your responsibilities? The GOES-R flight project is responsible for the spacecraft and all the instruments. We also work with the Kennedy Space Center to ensure a successful launch. And our mission operations support team works with NOAA to check out the spacecraft and then provide engineering support throughout their lifetime. Now with this GOES-T uh, satellite, I understand there was some upgrades and a new magnetometer was uh, developed for this, this, this upcoming flight? Yes, for GOES-T, we replaced, the team replaced the radiator on the advanced baseline imager instrument and also changed out some electronics on the geostationary lightning mapper instrument to provide improved reliability. And thirdly, there's a completely new magnetometer that will be flown on GOES-T and GOES-U that was built right here at Goddard Space Flight Center. Now with the new magnetometer, was the environmental testing done here at Goddard? Yes, the GOES-T magnetometer was completely checked out here at Goddard, as are all of the instruments before they're delivered to the spacecraft. They're all checked out at their vendor facility. For the GOES magnetometer, that involved using all of our special test facilities here at Goddard. We have our own thermal vacuum chambers. We have our own vibration testing. And we also have a facility for checking out magnetometers that will null the Earth's field so that they can check out and make sure their functionality. For the advanced baseline imager instrument, uh, the radiator was built at Northrop Grumman in Beltsville. 
So it was completely checked out there by that vendor, then delivered to the ABI team, L3 Harris. And it was integrated with the sensor unit and checked out in their Rochester, New York facility. Then everything is sent to the spacecraft and the spacecraft completely undergoes environmental testing at Lockheed Martin's Littleton, Colorado facility. The spacecraft was shipped to Kennedy in November and there the team completely checks that out to make sure it arrives safely. Then it goes forward into a flow with the launch vehicle where first it's mated to the attachment and then the fairings put over it and then it moves to the vertical integration facility where it's actually mated with the rocket. That all sounds absolutely amazing. Where are you gonna be uh, during the launch? During the launch, I will be on console at Kennedy Space Center uh, with the whole team from Kennedy and uh, from Lockheed Martin and of course from Goddard, making sure that everything, and ULA of course, making sure that everything is okay and ready to go. Well, thank you, Candice. We definitely looking forward to a successful launch and getting good data and images from Ghost T. Thank you. We can't wait to see Ghost T on orbit and all of the great data it's going to provide. Live from the Space Launch Complex 41, looks like the roll is beginning. We're going to go now live to Franklin and Mick, who will give us the update from the ground. Yes, you are absolutely right, Blair. I'm here with Mick Waltman from the Launch Services Program. Mick, the role has begun. Yeah, Franklin, uh, the team has been working very hard this morning to make sure the rocket's ready. The mobile launch platform was configured properly and uh, they have begun rollout. Uh, they are coming out of the vertical integration facility and uh, beginning that 1800 foot trip down to uh, Space Launch Complex 41. Now, we're a little behind schedule. Uh, you know, before the roll started, you talked about a poll that had to take place. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the test conductor this morning, uh, just prior to the roll, they want to make sure everything's configured, everything is transferred over to generator power, uh, all pressures and accumulators, environmental control system is transferred. And so the, the test conductor does a poll with his team to make sure all those systems are in place, ready to go, so they can do the poll. That poll happened about seven minutes ago. So they were a little bit behind schedule from the normal uh, roll schedule, but that's not bad for the team. They did a great job this morning. And uh, as I said, we're rolling now and getting things moving. Now, when you talk about transfer, you're talking about power uh, from the VIF to the mobile launch platform? Yes, sir. Uh, we, when we're in the VIF, uh, we're on what we call ground power, hooked to the facility power at the vertical integration facility. We need to put some of that on generator power and then also some of that, uh, like the environmental control system, on the portable ECS that's following the mobile launch platform out to the pad. Once they get the rocket to the pad on the mobile launch platform, they'll reconnect all that to facility power. So for that trip, we got to make sure everything's still working, make sure we take care of Ghost T. Okay. Now, the, the mobile launch platform that I can see that is uh, uh, hooked to the Atlas V, um, it is also connected to, it looks like a train. <laughs> Tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the way the mobile launch platform works is in front of the mobile launch platform, we have uh, what we call the P-Van and the G-Van, and those are the areas where the spacecraft have their racks uh, to, to communicate and talk to the spacecraft. 
and then also the rocket telemetry and be able to talk to the rocket that the launch team can do. Behind the mobile launch platform, we have the ECS, the environmental control system, and along with some tugs that are pushing the MLP up the track. So the Atlas V on the mobile launch platform travels a little less than about a half a mile an hour on railroad tracks all the way to uh, Space Launch Complex 41. And you said that is an 1,800 foot? Uh... Approximately 1,800 foot trip from the VIF to the pad. You know, today there's a forecast of rain uh, later on in the afternoon. Could could something like rain cause a, uh, a delay in a launch? So it depends, uh, honestly. Uh, typically not, uh, but it would depend on what's going on around with that weather uh, uh, system. If we have lightning in that weather system, which of course being here in Florida, the lightning capital of the world, uh, that is something that could stop our launch. Uh, if there's upper level wind problems that could stop our launch, cumulus cloud level problems could stop our launch. So uh, it's a combination of the weather, not just the rain. Uh, the vehicle is actually built to withstand some rain and uh, you know analysis have been done to look at erosion uh, components, things like that. So rain by itself, no, but combination of that weather, we got to keep an eye on that to make sure Ghost-T is safely launched. Yeah, and, and, and you mentioned lightning. I'm not sure if we can get a shot of the uh, pad, but there are these structures that surround the launch pad that have these white columns on top, and I understand they have something to do with lightning. Yeah, they're what we call our catenary uh, tower system. It, it surrounds the pad. Uh, these two towers on both sides of the pad, 180 degrees from each other, have a catenary wire system that runs across the top of them that during a lightning storm, the idea is this catenary system would take the lightning and diffuse the lightning to the ground. Uh, that way we as a launch team, along with our commercial partner, United Launch Alliance, can then do some analysis and figure out, do we need to retest anything? Is there an issue with the rocket? Uh, or can we just continue to move on? So it provides us a lot of data uh, to be able to make that decision prior to launching. So luckily right now, we have no lightning in the forecast, so I'm, I'm happy, but these catenary towers are there for our protection. Now, once the mobile launch platform reaches the pad, are there any, you know, uh, incidents that might take place that, you know, the 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 uh, uh, the launch vehicle is actually rolled back to the VIF. Can that actually happen? So we've had that happen over the years, uh, typically around a hurricane time. <laughs> uh, we want to make sure that we're protecting the launch vehicle, so we roll it back to the VIF and put it in safe haven is what we call. But for the most part, the launch vehicle will stay at the pad. It can withstand a lot of weather, a lot of wind, once we hook up uh, uh, some systems at the pad. Um, but that is monitored 24-7 once the vehicle reaches the pad by the United Launch Alliance team in their launch control center. Um, so those decisions would be talked about with uh, management prior to it happening. But uh, for the most part, we'll stay there and be ready for launch. But there are circumstances that there will have to be some discussions occasionally. Like I said, typically hurricanes. Now you said the uh, launch window is uh, two hours. How many days uh, can the uh, you know the launch vehicle stay at the pad before it has to be uh, rolled back? Launch launch vehicle can stay at the pad uh, quite a few days, uh, actually many days. The constraint we have is uh, launch uh, availability from the range and the resources of the launch team to make sure we're not overworking our launch team. So the uh, vehicle itself could stay there as long as we want. The Atlas V is rolling right by our position right now. And um, Mick, it's looking good. They're on schedule right now, right? Oh yeah, everything's looking really good. They are, are moving very well, uh, transporting this. Transport is going very good. Uh, Franklin, I can tell you standing where we are right now, Looking at this rocket is just amazing. Looking at those Gem 63 solids, 
uh, on the side of the first stage there. Those look very nice. Uh, Ghost T looks very good, poised on top of this Atlas V here inside that fairing. Uh, United Launch Alliance has done a great job getting this vehicle ready, and we are headed to the pad, getting ready for launch tomorrow. The team is doing a great job this morning. They do have a lot of work. Once they get this to the pad, they'll still have to hook everything up, and then we will go into what we call RP-1 tanking, rocket propellant one tanking. They'll put RP-1 on the first stage and get it ready for tomorrow when we do cryogenic tanking at T minus two hours. Uh, but they do have a lot of work to continue today once it gets to the pad. Well, Mick, it is great to be out here with you once again to uh, view a rollout of the uh, Atlas V. And uh, we look forward to a successful Ghost T launch on tomorrow. Mick, it's been a great time hanging out with you today. Yeah, Franklin, thank you. I'm always privileged to be out here with you guys uh, on the NASA EDGE team. Y'all do a great job covering these launches and everything NASA. Thanks for all you guys do. Hey, it's not a problem. Hey, everybody, you're watching NASA EDGE, an inside and outside look. Of all things NASA. At all things NASA. At all things oh, NASA. Man, I, look, I'll give you a pass.